And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 620. It is 2024 now, which means it is time to start our team-by-team fantasy baseball previews for the 2024 fantasy baseball season. We're starting with the AL East, and we're starting with the Toronto Blue Jays, who two years ago, banana land, offense galore. Last year, still a very good team, but some may say disappointed a bit when it came to fantasy. Still good, so it'll be fun to see how this one breaks down. In order to break it down with me once again, as he did last season, the Toronto Blue Jays fan himself has an amazing Kevin Gossman jersey, which is pretty sweet. It's a like a side-by-side, two-color deal. You can find him daily recording the Fantasy MLB Today podcast, which is a great one. I have had the luxury to be on from time to time. He's also over there at Sports Ethos, Fantasy Baseball Sports Ethos, the whole cha-cha there. And he's on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Joe Rico, how are we doing, my friend? Bubba, it's great to be back, and it's an honor to to kick off the previews this year. I didn't realize when you'd reached out to me that we're starting uh, we're starting off your preview. So it's great to be talking about the Blue Jays. It's been a bit of a tough off season. It's been a roller coaster, but it's always fun to talk about my guys. They're still my team, regardless of if it's Connor Falefa or Otani coming to town. They're still my team, so it's going to be fun to talk about it today. Yeah, you guys learned a lot about the air travel recently, um, what not to like about air travel, what to like. You basically learned what college recruits do when they see their coach flying a plane somewhere and you get nervous. You kind of had that aspect, and then you got uh, shark tanked. So that was interesting. Uh, I hope you guys have him like throw out the first pitch one day, the the guy. That would be amazing. It's totally, totally like snowball this into something. Maybe when the Dodgers come to town someday, make him throw out the first pitch. I don't know. But – one thing you did mention there is it's been like a weird off season here and there. And I'll just preface this for all listeners, for all shows we do, I'll just say it right now. So listen to the, the Jay show. You'll know we're doing these still early. Technically, there's a lot of moves to be done still. Like I, I'll never forget. I did the Red Sox with Shelly last year. And like later that day, they made a big splash of some sort. I don't remember what it was. That's going to happen a lot, but this is going to get you the preface to get you ready for the fantasy season. The goal is to get, a fan slash analyst, one of the two, if not both. This works great with Joe. He's both. And just to give you kind of a feel on someone that follows the team a lot on how this works. And so let's um, first, you, you said, you know, it's been a rough offseason. Um, or not rough, but just a, an interesting offseason, I'll say. Let's talk about 2023 just real quick. How did you think that turned out from a perspective of, you could say, real-life fantasy, just because the expectations are high with that offense, but it kind of maybe dwindled a bit? Well, we got the best case scenario from our pitching and we got almost the worst case scenario offensively. And, and I say worst case scenario, we were still, uh, you know, a top 10 or 12 team in a lot of metrics, even just the basic ones, right? We were fifth in hits per game, eighth in batting average, seventh and on base, uh, 11th in OPS. They weren't a terrible offense, but almost everybody disappointed to some extent. Varsho wasn't quite what we thought he'd be. Vladdy obviously wasn't there. Um to the extent that we have been expecting George Springer is pretty much just a, an average player at this point. So everybody kind of took a step back offensively and, you know, it did coincide with the pitching. Everybody was throwing 30 starts to a sub four ERA. It was beautiful outside of uh, Alec Manoa, who I'm sure we'll touch on, but it's kind of balanced out to still being a pretty successful season. 89 wins in the American league East is, is no small feat. But I think generally speaking, the fan base is kind of tired of the repetition of sneaking into the playoffs, losing a couple games consecutively. In the Bichette Guerrero era, we haven't won a playoff game. So it's starting to get frustrating. It gets even more frustrating when we see the theatrics of this offseason. And as a Giants fan, I think you can relate last year with the whole Correa and Judge mess. 
it's kind of a similar situation the Blue Jays have been in, and now we're you know going after Isaiah Kiner Falafa and bringing back Kiner, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. So we're kind of pivoting to these secondary moves, and I don't know. You're talking about 2023. It was kind of disappointing. I don't know that they're setting up 2024 to be any different with these moves. We've kind of missed out on the big trade targets in Soto on Otani. I really don't know what it's going to look like for us, but it was a very disappointing 2023 with a terrible end with the whole Barrios being pulled after three innings fiasco. It just left a bad taste in fans' mouths, and it's been a bad taste, even worse taste uh, throughout the first three months of the offseason. It was really cool uh, in a way to hear Chris Bassett. He was on the, the Chris Rose rotation recently. And Chris asked him about the the Barrios thing, how he, when he got taken out and what the team kind of felt about it. And Bassett said the good part about, hey, this is our team philosophy. This is what we've done, so on and so forth. But then he also said, but none of us in the dugout liked it. Like we were all just like, what are we doing? So it was nice to hear that from the player's perspective. Like, hey, this is what we've done. We trust our coaches. Like, okay, this so on and so forth. But at the same time, it's one of those, like, you kind of throw that out the window at this point in time. We need to, like, run our beast because you mentioned it. Your pitching staff was outstanding, at least one through four. Like, really, really good compared to expectations. And maybe that's why they're not making the big moves this offseason because they're thinking, okay, if our pitching can still be good, you know, to be that good consistently is going to be tough, but still be pretty good. Then you get your offense to get back to where it could be. Maybe there's a, there's a middle ground there because plus the AL East, it's damn tough. It's going to be tough no matter what. You look at those teams out there, they're all fighting. So let's get into some of these players here from uh, a, a fantasy perspective. And we'll start with Vladito. And you mentioned it was a down year. And honestly, when it comes to Vlad, like the expectations have always been so high. The dude's 24, still super young. He's going to be 25 this year. He had that monster 2021, an okay 2022, dropped off again in 2023. What are you expecting this year? Because right now when you look at Vlad, uh, since December 1st, there's been 15 draft champions drafts on the NFBC, and he's going around pick 35 right now. So he's a, a an early round three pick with Vlad. What are your expectations for him this year? Because it just keeps dwindling with him. Personally, I think that he'll probably get back on track. But the honest answer is I have no idea. After 2021, we thought that he was going to continue on that same kind of trajectory. We maybe should have read into the minor league parks that he was playing in a, a little bit more because I, I, I think a lot of people just expected that to be the you know the regular season we get from Vlad every single year. 45 homers, he's bad in 310. I think we've kind of had to regress our expectations a little bit there, but even with these two quote-unquote down seasons, and they have been down seasons, he's still you know between a 130 and 120 WRC+. plus. So you're still talking about 20 to 30% better than the average hitter. Even if you're just looking at 2022 to 2023, he cut his K rate and he increased his walk rate. You know, I still think there's a lot of power in the bat. Like, there's a lot of positive signs here. And the fact that he's only 24 years old still. I mean, he'll be 25 in March to start the season. But the fact that he is still so young, I still have to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he is still probably going to be able to reach 80 to 90% of that peak we saw in 2021. He was 22 years old. Yes, the parks were easier to play in, but... You didn't see everybody else doing that. You know, the rest of the Blue Jays roster was not hitting 50 home runs, batting 310. It was a good offensive season for them, Semi and uh, Springer, Hernandez. But I think Vladdy does have that next level that can still be unlocked. Projections seem to think that he is going to have a great season. Steamer's the only public system that's out right now. 36 homers, 7 steals, and a 285 average. If he hits that, I think we're all going to be pretty happy. One thing I do want to mention with the projections, though, is once we have this season completed and let's say that it's another mediocre season from Vlad 
projections tend to take the last three year sample size. So we'll have 2021 excluded from that going into next year's projections. And I wonder, let's say Vlad hits 25 homers, bats 270 this year. Is he still going to have those lofty projections going into next year? And I think this is kind of the year where he's going to set the bar going forward. If 2024 is a 40 home run, 300 batting average season, I think we're going to be like, okay, he has arrived. He's finally hit his stride. If it's another down season, then I think we're going to probably have to take those expectations and regress them another level and say he, he's not going to be his dad. He's not going to be a 320 hitter who's going to hit 500 home runs or close to it. There's a potential for it, but this year is really a make or break year for, for what his expectations will be going forward, in my opinion. It's a great point on the projections because we we all love them. We all utilize them. We all use them. It'll be interesting to see like what the bat comes out with because they do a lot of different factors, and then you have uh, ATC and some others. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because the three-year average thing is a very common thing. Like they weight them differently, obviously, but they're still involved, like you said. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Like, And then looking at the ADP, he's the fifth first baseman off the board after Pete Alonso, and then it drops off a couple rounds. Like it's a big drop-off. So it's kind of like, do you trust Vlad or do you just wait for the next tier? That'll be fun to see how that keeps on unraveling as draft season goes on. Let's go to another uh, co-heart, co-teammate, teammate of his, Bo Bichette, who, um, you know, back in 2021, like you mentioned, the Jays all went off different stadiums, awesome stuff. But the big thing with Bo that year, 25 steals. Like he burst out on the scene and steals, even though many said he, he doesn't steal much in the minors, like he's not going to steal, but he did. It was great. Then it dropped to 13, last year to five. I know he had some injuries in there, but 20 homers, still hit 306, which was great to see. Best batting average since uh, his rookie, small rookie campaign in 2019. What's your expectations for for um, Bichette this year, who's technically the eighth shortstop off the board of the ADP around 38? It feels like a pretty reasonable discount that we're getting on him at this point. I mean, if he had played the entire season last year and he did miss about 25 games, he was on pace to lead the league in hits. He was going to be somebody in the conversation for the batting title, would have had 25 homers, probably 90 runs, 90 RBI. Stolen bases are the huge thing. That's the massive change in his value because if you look at who he was in 2021 versus now, Everything else is pretty much the same. It's just the speed. He's not stealing. And I think it was a bit of an outlier 2021. Even after that season, a lot of people were talking about how the sprint speed wasn't so great and it was expected to come down. I don't think anybody expected it to come down this much to the point where he's almost, I don't want to say nothing, but five steals in 135 games is pretty pretty much nothing that you're getting from your shortstop. So I don't think the steals are really coming back. The projections think he'll go for double digits again. But Steamer's projecting 12. He might get there, but I think realistically you have to say he's probably a single-digit steal guy who's going to give you 20-plus homers with great counting stats in a, in a good lineup, and he has a potential to compete for the batting title. He's always been close to a 300 hitter. He's a 299 hitter in 2,300 plate appearances, so that seems to be pretty stable. He's not the biggest OBP asset guy if you're playing in an on-base league, but in your standard 5x5 Roto League, I think that Bichette comes at – a about a two-round discount compared to last year, mm-hmm. when realistically, last year, we weren't really expecting a hell of a lot of stolen bases from him anyway. So I don't think that it should be too changed in terms of our expectations for Bichette. But now we're getting him a couple rounds later. So I can definitely be convinced into taking him as ADP right now in December, 37.8, call it 38. I can take a chance on him in the middle of round three there and get a solid stabilizer across four categories, especially if you got somebody who you're pretty certain of steals in the first couple rounds. You take a Corbin Carroll you take uh, Bobby Witt Jr., and you're getting a huge boost in batting average and everything else with Bo. So I think in the right build, he makes a lot of sense. If you're taking guys who, you know, you're taking a Matt Olson in round one, Corey Seager round two, Bichette probably doesn't make too much sense in round three there just based on the roster construction, but it's, it's hard to fault what you're getting from him there at that price, I think. 
Yeah, that's why an interesting kind of comp, and people might say I'm out of school here, but, you know, Corey Seager, he's not going to run at all. Like, you're getting maybe two steals if you're lucky. Like, it's probably closer to zero most seasons. Bad average is legit with Corey. We know that. Power's probably better than Bichette. That's pretty safe to say. But the injury concerns are there with Corey every year as well. And Corey's going to pick, like, 20 compared to 38. It's just a, it's a, it's a topic of conversation, let's put it that way. I, I think everyone leans Corey Seager still. I'm not going to deny that. But – I, I agree to an extent that I think we're downplaying Bichette a ton compared to, to recent years. The other argument, and this is why I mentioned Seager, is a lot of people still think you have to get your steals at shortstop, which there's been some data that shows you probably want some from shortstop. That's, that's pretty pretty nice, but you don't have to. Like you said, if you build your roster the right way, it's not as big of a deal. So be interesting to see where that ADP continues with Bichette, especially if he starts out uh, hot in spring training. That could be a big difference. George Springer, you mentioned uh, he's kind of an average player. He's going to be 34 this year. He's getting old. He went 21-20, most steals of his career, uh, hit 258. He also played 154 games, the most games since 2016. ADP of around 120-ish right now. What's your thoughts on George Springer? Because I have a tough time drafting him coming off of that season. See, that's the thing, right? Like uh, the price, just looking at it, hearing it 120, it sounds pretty okay. I think George Springer last year was about 50 picks more expensive. I seem to remember him being about 65 to 75 range, generally speaking. And he's been healthy the last couple of seasons, which is not something I ever expected from George Springer in Toronto, but 133 and 154 games the last two seasons. It's kind of been surprising. Now that's coincided this past season with a 2.2 war season over 154 games. So like I said, he's been pretty much an average player this season. It's the lowest war that he's had over a whole season, literally going back to his rookie year. So that's more of a real life thing, but it does factor into the fantasy side of it as well. Is is George Springer going to be able to, one, maintain that workload of playing 154 games? Because he has been somebody who has been a little bit reckless in the way that he plays the outfield in his career. Now, he's not a center fielder anymore, which is, I think, a huge bonus for fantasy because he's not going to be in a position where he needs to be, quote unquote, Superman George Springer as often. He's not going to need to be commanding as big of a territory in the outfield. It's a lot easier playing right than center. And we saw that this year. He played 154 games, 131 of them in the field. So maybe he can maintain some of the volume, but I just worry on a per-game basis. Those home runs, like he was once a 39-homer hitter. Now you're probably looking at low 20s. The steals came this year, the first 2020 season of his career, which was kind of surprising. Will that maintain? I find it hard to project him for that same number. I think you're probably looking at low double digits. So low 20s homers, maybe 10 to 15 steals. And I think that batting average is okay, but it's nothing really to write home about. Probably 250 to 260 range. I think the main positive here is that he's probably going to be the leadoff hitter for the Blue Jays again. That's where he's always been in his career for the most part. They took him out of the leadoff spot this year. Didn't really work so well. They put him back in the leadoff spot, closing in, uh, closing out the season and in the postseason. And if he's leading off in front of Bichette and Guerrero, I think that there's still going to be an opportunity for him to be potentially a 100-run guy. He had 87 runs this season despite moving out of the leadoff spot in 154 games. I think we can see him get close to 100 runs. That'll be probably his biggest category where he's get, providing you a, a ton of value. I think the rest of it is just kind of whatever at this point. But the price, I, I think, is pretty reasonable, right? You're, you're not getting anything that's going to blow you away, but you're getting an outfielder, especially in NFBC, where they do not grow on trees. You're getting a guy who's going to steal potentially 15 to 20 bases past pick 100. There is still, I think, quote-unquote upside, and it sounds weird to say with an older guy, but people might just kind of be forgetting about George when potentially he could go and give you another 2020 season batting 260. And at pick 120, you'll take that. 
I just think there is risk as he gets older of him breaking down more and more. And I personally, like you said, I can't actually see myself hitting the button. Maybe I could, haven't done it so far. And I think that there is that worry in the back of my head that if he gets hurt, he's not a guy who can provide you that per game, per inning kind of upside. He needs to be an accumulator at this point of his career. Yeah, and that's that's my thing. Is like the runs part is great. That's a category that I think is kind of overlooked compared to the other categories in fantasy. But like right before him is going Nick Castellanos, Lane Thomas. Like you got those two guys that that'll do their thing behind him. A little interesting, like Jordan Walker, Estrella Ruiz, Evan Carter. Pick your poisons there. And you can go later. There's other outfield options as well. So it's an interesting spot where George Springer's landing uh, in ADP right now. And it's just a matter of if he, like you said, if he gives you 2020, awesome. I just don't know if the steals are going to be there. That's the the big conundrum right now. Davis Schneider, this is a fun one because he kind of jumped onto the scene last year, finally getting a, a full kind of run. Was really hot at times, really cold at times, then really hot again, then really cold again. It was because for a guy that rostered Davis Schneider, I experienced the highs and lows of the Davis Schneider game very, very well. He still finished 278, eight homers, a steal in, in 35 games, played really well in the minors in AAA as well. The thing I think is really intriguing, and it's what's found me drafting a lot of him in DCs right now, his ADP is close to 390 right now. He is the 35th second baseman off the board, and right now he's slated to be the starting second baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays. So either enlighten me that I'm missing something he's not going to be the everyday second baseman, or what are we doing with this ADP? What's your thoughts on David Schneider? No, I think he is the everyday second baseman as of right now. And, and you made a good point off the top that there's still three months of the offseason left to go. And I pray to God that this is not the final version of the Blue Jays that we go into the season with. So there will be some changes, whether it's another pitcher brought in, another bat, whatever it is. Maybe it's a Ballinger, even though I think that ship has probably sailed. But whatever happens, I think David Schneider is pretty secure in that playing time at second base. I don't think that there's going to be. And as the roster is currently constructed, I think they're kind of done with Espinal. I think Kiner Falefa... The money they gave Kiner Falefa kind of does scare me, and I think that's kind of, you know, he's probably going to end up at third base, but if they sign Chapman, which is still a possibility, he probably takes more of the second base role, I think, there, and then maybe Schneider would lose some uh, some playing time because the money they gave Kiner Falefa, I don't know they want to put him on the bench, but, you know, that's projecting a few moves that may or may not happen. As of today, which is all we can really go off of, I think Schneider is the everyday second baseman, but the numbers are very hard to comb through. If you look at what he did in August, he batted 426 with six mm-hmm. home runs over his first 57 plate appearances. And then in September and October, he batted 174 with a couple of home runs. So it did balance out to an okay stat line, but he really, really, really ran cold there. He was, I mean, you know, the offices, I just, he was as hot as anybody in baseball. He was the number one fantasy player for a couple of weeks there. He might have even been the number one player in August, considering what he did. I just don't know that you need to, and you don't, you don't need to really, but. Yeah. Let's say the price moves up and up and up, which as we get closer to spring training, I don't think it will. But if the Blue Jays don't make any more moves, there might be people who have that same thought process that you had of why is David Schneider going so late? And we might start moving him up and maybe it goes 100 picks up. And I don't know that he's necessarily a guy that they 100% trust every single day. It was a, it was a good stretch of 35 games, but we really don't know what David Schneider is. He's a guy with a massive strikeout rate who doesn't steal a lot. I think his defense is okay, but we don't really fully know because he hasn't played a lot at the big league level at one position. He's, he's a confusing case. He, he is truly a confusing case, but I think if the price remains anywhere where it's currently at, you know, end of the 300 range you can't really go wrong dc or even if you're talking about your standard fab league you take a a late second baseman and schneider and he might end up being somebody who plays 120 games for you 
gives you 15, 20 homers, is able to steal a couple bags. At that point, he could end up being valuable. But I just think there are so many unknowns right now. And the fact that the Blue Jays, I think, are still going to make some moves. He might end up being somebody that does get displaced. I don't think that his playing time is 100% secure as of today. I'd like to think that it probably is, but he's he's a really, really tough player to analyze right now. Yeah, that's uh, it's a conundrum. I just look at that ADP and I'm in. If it goes up, I could definitely be concerned. And obviously, I'm saying I'm in. In a DC, that means he's like my second second baseman. He's not even my first one. So yeah. it's a nice backup piece to have, per se, looking for uh, at-bats and whatnot. Now it gets a little more interesting as we go down the list here. Dalton Varsho, you mentioned how he kind of underachieved. We all kind of knew average was a bit of a concern with Dalton, but you expected, you know, maybe a 2020. That's what it was the appeal as a catcher eligible guy. He's outfield only now. The going forwards so that definitely lowers appeal with him. The the projections still like him. So that's the interesting part. But ADP of around 209. What's your thoughts on Dalton Varsho? Yeah, I'll take a chance on him there. Uh, a 2020 potential guy with even, you know, he had 27 homers in 2022. Projections say he'll go or project he'll go for 25. So even if you're getting like 22 or 23 homers, 15 or 16 stolen bases in an outfielder, at that point of the draft, I have no real problem with it. And that's kind of like the baseline, I think, for Varsho. This was a terrible year for him. He had 20 homers and 16 stolen bases. So worst case scenario, he does that again for you that's probably worthy of about the 200 pick, even if he doesn't improve. And I think, you know, it doesn't always work like this, but first year in a new place, he's a young guy. There are struggles that you see. And even with guys like Trey Turner, Francisco Lindor going back, first year in a new destination, you can struggle. And it's usually tied to a massive contract, but we we tend to disregard the human element a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I saw this with Lucas Giolito, and I, I didn't even realize this, that he went through a divorce and a lot of personal stuff this year. So it's just like another... Thing that you have to kind of consider when you're evaluating a player and I think we kind of disregard the effect that it can have on a young guy 26 25 years old who gets traded so I'm going to give him a little bit of slack for the first season in Toronto we saw how incredible he was defensively arguably the best defensive outfielder in baseball and I think that you give him another year to settle into Toronto he'll probably slightly improve and that's all you really need at this price you don't need him to go 30 30 even if he goes like the projections are calling 25 and 16 and bats 240 in that lineup where he's probably going to be right in the middle of it, probably giving you 150, 160 runs and RBIs put together. I'm definitely in at that price. You know, it would be real nice if he still was able to get five, 10 games in at catcher and keep that eligibility. But even as an outfielder, I'll take it. I'll take it where he's going, right? You're getting him 150 or so picks later than last year. There's obviously a reason for that, but I think I'll be in at that price. Yeah, it's an interesting way. Like the way you said, it makes me a little more intrigued by him. I've kind of been ignoring him a little bit, and that's probably a fault of mine. But uh, if there is the 2020 upside at that point in the draft, there is at least something to it. Because as you fall down the draft board, everyone's got a wart. They're not going to give you five categories. So try to find the the, the stuff you need to build your team. That is interesting. Uh, you mentioned the catcher potential for Varsho. Uh, I don't know if we'll see it. It'd be fun. Let's talk about the catchers in Toronto. You got Danny Jansen. You got Alejandro Kirk. Obviously, you said there might be some more moves because right now they have Jansen, DH, and Kirk at catcher. Don't think we see that every day. We might. Um, Jansen has shown the ability to hit when healthy. When healthy is the key word with Danny Jansen. And it seems like he's the the priority at catcher due to his defense. Could be wrong. At least it's, it's, that seems how playing time has played out when both are healthy. Kirk had a rough start to the year but did finish nicer. Like, they just kind of remember the Kirk of old. One's the 20th catcher off the board. One's the 22nd, Jansen, Kirk. So they're going right next to each other. How do you look at this uh, going into 2024? 
Well, I don't think that they're going to be adding any more catchers. At least I hope not. Uh, they had, what's his name, Heineman uh, here and there last year when Jansen got hurt. And Jansen probably will get hurt, and maybe that will lead them to want to have at least a catcher that is a viable backup that they have on the AAA roster or maybe even a guy they carry as a bench piece in case Jansen gets hurt because the guy cannot stay healthy. He's played the most games he's ever played is 107, and that was back in 2019, and it, it kills me. It kills me on a per-game basis because this is a guy who could be a 30-homer bat. He could be doing what Cal Raleigh's doing if he stayed healthy. And I know it sounds kind of crazy, but 17 homers in 86 games. I, I'm with I mean, you. He's that, he's, his talent's there. The talent's there. I mean, he's he's a classic catcher, except he doesn't really strike out like the average catcher. He's more of a 20% K-rate guy and close to a 10% walk rate. He could legitimately be an incredible asset. He's projected about fourth in this lineup. I mean, I, I hope that he's not batting fourth, but if he is, if the Jays just stand pat and don't bring in anybody else, then you got him in a great RBI spot behind Guerrero, behind Springer, behind Bichette. If he's healthy, and I, I know it's it's a crazy thing we're always talking about, but we have no idea if he's going to be healthy or not. Do I want to make that investment in a guy who's played six seasons and only 400 games? Probably not, but considering the price, and you're talking about the 22nd catcher overall off the board, it's not a huge investment. He's going 259 overall. I can get behind Danny Jansen as my C2. I, if he gets hurt, then, you know, catcher, I'm not somebody who typically is going to draft a real Mudo and a Will Smith anyway. I'm typically going for the lower level catchers. If I can strike gold with Jansen at pick 250, 260, then I'll then I'll take a chance there. Now, if he gets hurt, I'll try and replace him on the waiver wire. There will be guys that come up throughout the year. It's not going to be a deep position, but I think I would take a chance on him there, right? There will be a year where Danny Jansen plays 120 games and Will it be this year? I have no idea. But when he does, he's going to hit 25 homers. He's going to drive in 80 runs. He's going to yep. bat 245. And then everybody next year is going to jump in on him. Yep. Maybe this is the year where we can get in a year early, potentially, because a lot of the injuries last year, he was getting hit by pitches. It was kind of fluky. Yeah. At a crazy rate. It wasn't like this was something, you know, the arm kept giving out on him or it was the knees. He kept getting hit by pitches and he kept getting hurt, broken hand, broken wrist, whatever it was. So there's a more fluky element to it than he is injury prone, even though you can maybe argue it's a bit of both. But end of story, I think I would probably take a chance on him here as my C2. I wouldn't want him as my C1. No, C2 is, yeah. C2, I think, is, is a good price for that right now. 100% on Jansen at C2. I like him a ton. I'm with you. Like Every year I write him up for the Black Books. I write all these catchers up, and I look at his numbers. You look, like you mentioned, you look at even his quality contract metrics, all these things. The fact he doesn't strike out a ton at catcher, there's a ton to like about what he brings to the plate. It's just, you know, it's tough to bring that to the plate when you're not playing. So that's that's the conundrum, as you mentioned. But the skills are there. And knock on wood, he's healthy right now. So I'll go to battle with him. And you can stream catchers at catcher, too, all year. So like I'm cool with starting with a Danny Jansen. If he runs hot, you're way ahead of the game. If he gets hurt, you move on. What's your thoughts on Kirk, though? Because we know the skills are there. There was a, a kind of a, a letdown to an extent, at least in the power department this past year. But they're still plugging with him. We know the skill set's great. But what can we expect from a guy like Kirk? You're still getting a pretty high batting average floor from a catcher, and you're talking after picks 260 here. You're not getting a lot of upside from catchers in that range, I don't find. You're the catcher expert. I'll defer to you on this. But I don't think at this point there's a hell of a lot of upside. It in starts anything. dwindling. Yeah. It starts to dwindle, right? You're getting guys who you're maybe speculating on, hoping for some C2 production. Maybe you luck into the 15th or 14th best catcher. But Kirk is a guy – even with this past season, he's a 270 career hitter, and it's a small sample size, but we've seen a little bit of pop. 
not that it's going to be massive, but he could go for a you know a 15-ish home run season while batting 285. And the projections still generally like him. I think he'll bat 276 with 11 homers, 46 runs, 46 RBIs. I know that doesn't sound crazy, but that's only in 94 games. And with the projections, if if you think that Kirk will play more than 94 games, and I tend to to think that he will, fairly durable guy, I think then you can probably increase the games played. Not that I would mess with like the rate projections, but if you think that 94 is actually 120, then you're probably looking at like 15 homers. You're probably looking at like 60 runs, 60 RBI. And at that price, again, to get a catcher who will be to some extent a batting average asset, even in this piss poor year he just had, he was batting 250, which is better than a good good number of catchers. I think you're probably looking at a 270 hitter with double digit homers. And again, he's in C2 range. You don't have to spend the C1 price of last year. So in one draft, uh, the first draft I did of the year, the On the Wire Listener League with our friends uh, Adam Howe, Kevin Hastings, mm-hmm. I took Wilson Contreras as my first catcher, and then I took Kirk as my second catcher. I think it was round, I want to say round 20 or 21, 22. At that point, I have no problem with it. Like you said, you can stream catchers if they don't work out, and I think the upside at this price is relatively unmatched for both Blue Jays catchers at this point. If they are both able to stay healthy, I think they'll – be on the field more often than not, and they could potentially both really smash. I would prefer Kirk, I think, just ever so slightly, but I think they're both pretty good investments at this price. And it's really fun watching where they're going. Like I said, they're 20th and 22nd catcher off the board right between them is Ryan Jeffers, another interesting case, coming off yeah. a big year. And I can see similarities with Jeffers and Kirk, honestly. I got, there's a, a lot there. So it's a fun area to find your catcher, too. If you had to have both a catcher one and catcher two there, could be worse rather not though let's put it that way yeah a couple more bats to talk about real quick that brought kevin kiermeyer back as you mentioned and we all clown on kevin kiermeyer because he's kind of boring but he's a great great glove that's why teams love him he's phenomenal defensively and last year you know in 129 games eight homers 14 steals hit 265 doesn't jump off the page it to you but in a dc at least at pick 586 that's pretty dang sexy honestly those kind of at bats so what's your thoughts on Kiermaier, who produced pretty well this past year? And, and for all looks, he's going to be the everyday center fielder in Toronto. So those at-bats should be there once again. Yeah, well, I'm shocked that he came back at all, because at the end of the season, he was talking about how much he liked uh, Yankee Stadium. And we were thinking, oh, my God, this is what the, the narrative was in September. But here he is. He's back in Toronto. They gave him a, a nice contract, and he will be the everyday center fielder. I think it's kind of weird that they have such a great defensive outfielder in Varsho. And they decided to bring back Kiermaier and put Varsho off to a corner. They're both incredible defensively, so I guess I'll, I'll take it. It's just kind of a weird roster move. It almost, from a real-life baseball standpoint, it almost screams of a little bit of desperation on the Blue Jays' part because Varsho should be a center fielder. But I, I think from a fantasy point of view, you're probably still getting a, a very similar stat line to what Kiermaier gave you last year, assuming he's healthy. And that's something that has been a huge question mark for Kiermaier. 2022 was only 63 games and we've seen several seasons under 100 but when he's out there especially this year like there was times when I used him on my TGFBI team I had him on a main event qualifier for part of last year and I was starting him for you know several weeks consistently he wasn't even somebody I was really thinking about at a certain point of the year giving you a 265 batting average which doesn't sound crazy but over 130 games that's a pretty solid number 14 steals eight homers he had 58 runs he was a good asset. Now, he's not somebody I'm targeting in your stand. If you guys are playing in you know, a, a Yahoo League or a CBS fan tracks, 12-team league, he's likely not somebody who's going to have value. But when you start getting into those 15-team formats, again, even if you're talking like a standard 15-team league, he's probably not there. But in a draft champions, 
a guy like Kiermaier can have so much value being able to plug in regular everyday playing time for somebody who is contributing in a few categories. He could potentially give you 10 homers, 10 stolen bases from pick. What did you say it was? Five something? Like five ninety ish, give or take. At that point, yeah. I mean, uh, there's no reason to not take a chance on him. Once you're, if you're finding everyday playing time in the last 150, 200 picks of a DC, I think that's what you got to be going for. You can go for upside or you can go for that kind of floor. And I think there is some of both, but more so a floor with Kiermaier at that price. It's, it's a really reasonable price, I think. I think it's reasonable. And, you know, since like I said, these are dra- there's 15 drafts since December 1st, so there's been scattered around. He's gone as high as 500. It's probably after the signing. Still, to me, not a bad price because you're looking for at-bats late. So I, I, I definitely circled Kiermaier as a guy later in drafts that – could appeal because they're boring, but if people that play draft and holds DCs or 50s or whatever, those are huge at-bats as the season goes on. The last hitter I have for you here is Spencer Horwitz. He's just an interesting one to me. We've seen the he's going to be 26, 27 this year. Uh, he's 26 this year. We've seen him producing the the, my, uh, the minors, especially in the batting average department. Powers kind of is what it is. What are your thoughts on him this year? Are they going to give him run? Is he worth a look? Like right now in DCs, He's got an ADP of 713. He's gone as high as 553, though, so somebody really liked him. But uh, he's got a 780P, give or take. So what's your thoughts there? I think that he's more of a bench bat who maybe with injuries could have a potential for some regular playing time. If you look at what he did in the minors last year, it was very impressive. He walked more than he struck out. He batted 337. He had 10 homers and nine steals. When he came to the big leagues, it wasn't a bad transition. It was 15 games. He had a home run. He batted 256. But I just don't see him as of right now. And again, I think that the Blue Jays are going to make more moves and probably get more depth because that's a huge thing. Like when you have Danny Jansen projected as your four hitter, Kevin Vigio five, you need some more depth on the roster. I think the Blue Jays are going to do that. And that'll just push a guy like Horowitz a little bit farther down the depth chart. He's projected for 39 games from Steamer. That's probably about what you're going to see, honestly, in the 30 to 50 game range is just kind of an injury fill-in as somebody they could stick uh, maybe a couple different positions on the infield. Maybe they stick him at DH or he can fill in for one game. In the, I think he can play a little bit of outfield. So he might just be one of those guys who is just sticking around on the major league roster, not really a fantasy relevant guy, but somebody who is from a real life point of view going to probably do a lot more than fantasy. I, I just can't see him being somebody that unless there's an injury really becomes that relevant. If there is an injury and he gets regular playing time, he's shown the potential for high batting average that he can steal some bases. But as of right now, I, I can't really get too invested in Spencer Horowitz. Yeah, that's kind of the feelings we've had the last couple of years with him. The skills are nice, but playing time is suspect. Probably better real life than than regular. But I guarantee you there'll be a time this year where we talk waiver wires for the week and somehow Spencer Horwitz will be worth a couple bucks because he'll be like a week where he gets to play or something. So someone just keep an eye on in your deeper formats. Let's head to the bump. Let's talk about it. Kevin Gossman, what a season. Yet again, honestly, I'll say yet again because this has been, um, let's say, I'll say four straight good seasons, three really good seasons in a row, back-to-back gyms in Toronto. Making 31 starts back-to-back years, 30 or 31 or more in three straight years is damn impressive in this era. Uh, the ERAs, the ratios are great. Strikeouts improved this past season. And right now he is the fourth starting pitcher off the board, ADP of 27 or, um, or uh, six, sorry. What's your thoughts on Gossman? Can he do it again? I know you're a big Gossman fan, so do it. You can take your homerism if you want. That's fine. He's just a guy that's done it consistently now for three straight years. Like I said, what's your thoughts on uh, again for Kevin Gossman? Oh, yeah, you're going to hear some Blue Jays homerism coming in uh, over the feed right now. 
I'm obsessed. Uh, I am absolutely obsessed. You mentioned that jersey that I got. There was a giveaway that they were doing down at, at the Rogers Center one day where they were they were just giving these things out for free. And it's like a half blue, half white jersey. It's mixed the home and the away. Um, and it's like the splitter, right? It's a split jersey because Gosman's got that ridiculous splitter. So very cool thing that I have that I brought out to Arizona. I love that jersey. But Gosman is just ridiculously good and I don't think he gets the credit that he probably deserves for one reason or another he was kind of a late bloomer I think guys in Toronto it's almost a little bit harder sometimes in Toronto to to break through sometimes I don't know maybe that's just like the Toronto little man syndrome here just kind of compete with the American press but I find that if Gosman was doing what he was doing right now in a Yankee jersey or as a Red Sox or as a Dodger then people would be talking about him a lot more because he was third in Major League Baseball and pitching war last season behind Strider, behind Wheeler. If you look at any of those supporting metrics, any of the ERA indicators, he was fourth in XFIP. If you look at FIP, then he was third. If you look at strikeout minus walk rate, he was second only to Strider. Like there is a lot to really, really like. And like you said, this isn't like one fluky good season from Kevin Gosman. This is four in a row if you want to count the shortened season. And there's no reason to not count the shortened season. This really started once he came to San Francisco. Before that, he was like a 20-ish percent K-rate guy. He goes to San Francisco, 32% K-rate, and he's been able to maintain that. 29, 28, 31 elite strikeout minus walk rates every year. He's able to give you those supporting metrics that tell you this isn't just, you know, he was randomly good this year. Everything was in line with that 316 ERA. So I think that Gosman can do it again. I see no reason not to. If there's any concern, it's the high Babips that he's allowed in Toronto based on the infield grass, based on the balls taking some weird hops. On. I shouldn't even say grass. It's it's turf. It's artificial turf, which is a reason why Kiermaier partly thought that he wasn't going to come back here just because as you get older, the turf is a bit harder to play on. There's weird bounces. And that has contributed to a really high Babbitt for Gosman each of the last two years. 363 in 2022 was one of the highest marks ever and 321 this year. And yet you're looking at a 335 and a 316 ERA. So even with the bad luck, he's still been that good. For me personally, he's my number two starting pitcher in my rankings behind Strider. And I know that Cole is right there as well. I could flip-flop him with Cole. But for me, he's at worst the top three starting pitcher in baseball. And he is well worth the ADP. I know he's creeping into the second round now. Yep. And I think uh, that's honestly worth it. I think I would take him at the back end of the second round. You could start your draft with Acuna. Gosman and somebody else you know potentially like I'm there every single time yeah I'm becoming much more interested in Gosman the more I look into the more I hear people like you and others talk about him uh Bloomfield's huge on him like he's he was big on him last year we just did our top 20 show he kept pounding the Gosman drum so it makes me like have to open my ears a little more to what's going on and I guess I'm just always hesitant of you know I always say it's like you know they did it can they keep doing it well I did say and you mentioned three straight years he's done it so like what are we waiting on it's impressive to see with Kevin Gossman. Let's go to a couple guys now that uh, maybe have been inconsistent, maybe not so much. And I want to talk about Jose Barrios because this is a fun one. I wish I would have taken more of my own advice last year where I kept saying, you know, everyone hated on him because he had such a horrific 2021 or 2022 season. It was just bad, bad, bad. And everyone just kind of dropped him off the ADP world. And I kept saying it was a bad season. We still threw 172 innings, still started 32 games, had 12 wins. He's been the model of consistency before that season. Um, you mentioned, you know, kind of a new team. He got traded in his first full year there. Bounced back in a big way in 2023. Looked like the Jose Barrios of old. Was beautiful to see. Now we head into 2024. He's only going to be 30. It feels like he's been pitching forever because he started so young. 
and you're only paying a price tag of 169 ish, give or take. He's right behind Jose, or Carlos Rodon in front of Christian Javier. I'm really interested in a guy like Jose Barrios. Am I foolish for are we are we gonna get the 2022 or the 2023 Barrios, basically? See, I think the 2022 Barrios is the clear outlier, right? And I had a big yeah. fight with Nick Pollock. I shouldn't say a fight because you can't really even fight with Nick. Nick's the no. friendliest guy in the world. It's a slap we were, fight at best. <laughs> we were disagreeing about Barrios, and I guess you know the Toronto homer comes out at me again but i was thinking like he can't be this bad again right even if he's not going to be you know the cy young candidate like he was a few times in minnesota he's not going to be a 523 era bad again and he had a 421 x fit he had a 455 fit he was slightly unlucky i didn't think that he'd bounce back to this extent but i think the writing was on the wall that it was going to be a slight improvement at least for barrios now i wasn't thinking we'd get a 365 era wasn't thinking we'd get a boost in the K rate to the extent that we did after how bad it was in 22. But he came back and he was pretty much the same Barrios that he always was in Minnesota. So I have to be more inclined to think that that's who he will continue to be, right? He's not an old guy. Like you said, he's only 30, which is really surprising, honestly. I thought he was 32, 33, but he came up when he was only 22 years old. So, yeah, he's been around a while. I think that he's probably the guy that we always thought he was, you know, if you look at the ERAs every year, 389, 384, 368, 4, 352, 365, that's probably what you're going to get in the 375 to 4 range. Probably fairly average strikeout and walk numbers with a, a pretty decent whip of probably 1.2. I think he's just one of those innings eater. You know, you see those memes, the the innings eater guy, whatever. That's Jose Barrios. He's going to be able to give you 180 to 200 innings. And 200 innings is something he has done before. And he's also hit 192 a couple times. He was 189 this year. He's going to eat a ton of innings. And in that range, I think that that's a pretty pretty reasonable price. Like you, you mentioned Rodon, who I, I like, but there's a lot of risk there. Christian Javier, also a hell of a lot of risk there. He was a hell of two seasons guy. Barrios was pretty consistent this year. And if you are looking for that stability... You know, I, you hear guys like Dave Potts and Steve Weimer talk about like just finding those guys later on down in drafts who are the consistent, boring veterans that people yep. just kind of will pass up and people will look for the hot new toys and the Tariq Scoobles and the Royce Lewises of the world. And there's guys like Barrios who's going fairly late, who's going to be able to give you a lot of volume. And it might not be sub three ERA, but if you're getting a three, seven, five ERA over 200 innings in round 11, I mean, I, th I think I'm going to be signing up for that every single time, honestly. Yeah, I'm usually very much on the team boring side of things. So it's interesting. I think it's the strikeouts that kind of get people dwindle away a little bit there. But yeah. so be it. Like, I'm cool with those ratios. Like, build your team differently early. Get the Gossmans. Get those guys that you can suffer, uh, I guess, a quote-unquote suffer, a, uh, a strikeout dump. Let's talk his teammate, Chris Bassett. Similar thing here. Not a big strikeout guy. But you want to talk consistency in the ratio world? Outstanding. Last year, 3-6, 3-4-2. The innings, back-to-back -back years of over 180, got to 200 this past year with Chris Bassett. Just some great things with him. Now, he's older. He's going to be 35. Uh, his ADP is 142. It's about 20, 25 picks ahead of Jose Barrios. But again, just a consistent beast in Chris Bassett. What's your thoughts on him? He is the older one, though, so you kind of have to maybe wonder at times, but still really good stuff from Bassett. Yeah, if you're looking at just the basic projections, you know, Steamer thinks that he's going to have some regression this year. They're expecting a 422 ERA from Bassett, something we haven't seen from him since 2016. And the consistency really goes back for his entire career. 2016, we're talking a five-star sample size where it was kind of a bad uh, bad run for him. And every other year where he's pitched, regardless of innings totals, you're looking at a sub-4 ERA. And the thing that we mentioned earlier, you know, switching teams can sometimes uh, put undue stress on a player. It'll impact their performance. 
three teams in three years for him in a 3-1-5, 3-4-2, and a 3-6-0 ERA in different environments, different coaches, different everything, and he's been able to succeed wherever he has been. So there is something to be said about the mental fortitude, I think, of Bassett. And I saw it consistently in Toronto. He's going on local radio. He's talking to press, and he is such a competitor. He wants to produce for his teammates and he doesn't it really truly eats away at him and he's somebody and i know that there's only so much you can read into that everybody wants to contribute for their teammates but it seems like bassett almost takes it to another level he had that horrible start i don't know if you remember the first start of the year for him was in st louis this past year he gave up nine or ten earned runs it was dreadful and everybody was really worried and then he he really settled in he took ownership and he, he really worked on things and he, he got better and I think that that's something that you can kind of expect from Bassett, that the effort is always going to 100% be there. He's about as much of a team player as you're going to find in baseball. And I think that with that with that determination that he has, and I know that they're not the same thing, the determination and the skill side of it, but I think that he's somebody who can will his way to close to 200 innings. And we've seen how consistent he has been in terms of the production side of things as well. The ERAs are always low. The whips are usually pretty damn good as well, never above 1.2. I think that he is a really consistent guy that you can go for a little bit earlier than Barrios, but I think the consistency has been a bit better than Barrios. So it makes sense that you're paying a bit of a higher price, probably around nine, around 10. And even if it shoots up to maybe round eight, I could see myself getting behind it just because of that consistency. And another boring guy you're not paying a terribly high price for, but another 190 innings of sub four ERA, you need a lot of those guys to, to build out a championship roster. And I think Bassett makes a lot of sense here. Yep, I'm on board. I, I have some shares of Bassett already. Big fan of what we got from him. Now it gets interesting. We talked consistency with the last few guys. Now we got Yusei Kikuchi, who there's always been like signs of life or optimism that he's going to be this next big thing or whatever. Like he was pretty good a couple years ago when he was healthy for 157 innings. Ratio is still not ideal. Last year, though, 167 innings, best of his career. 386 ERA, best of his career. Strikeouts were still pretty good. Strikeouts have always been at least decent for Kikuchi. It's just the consistency of not getting blown up, limiting the walks, which he did last year, to the best of his abilities as well. What do you think in this year? Because now you get him at an ADP of around 250, going around Kenta Maeda, Taj, uh, Taj Bradley, and whatnot, which kind of seems about right, honestly. But what are you thinking with Yusei Kikuchi? Is it um, is he going to fall back, revert to the uh, poor ratios, or is this maybe, a, maybe closer to a four guy? I think he's about right on what the projections are calling for, which is about a 401 ERA. I, I think that he's a very good pitcher, and I think what the role that the Blue Jays have for him is where he belongs. As like a four, maybe as a number five guy, he did really well this year, and you got to give him his flowers, right? He went from a 12.8% walk rate, cutting that down to 6.9, while maintaining the strikeout rate within a percentage, went from 27 to 26 but that K minus walk went from 14 and a half up to 19. I mean, that's not something that is easy to do to go from a 519 ERA down to 386 in one year. Same team, same environment, same coaches, and everything. It, it was a massive improvement from Kikuchi. Now, I don't necessarily think we're going to see him continue at this pace for his whole career, but we don't really know with Kikuchi because he has been such an inconsistent pitcher. 546 ERA down to 517. 2021, he started off the year, he was an all-star in the first half, and then he, the wheels really came off. So he's somebody that will get hot, and he'll be a streaky type of pitcher. And for me, that's not really somebody that I want to necessarily have on my roster. If I end up with him, if I'm in a point where, you know, you said 250, if I need strikeouts, if I'm hoping for maybe a bit of volume, because volume has been there with him. Every year of his career, he's, he's out there for the most part. He's starting 30 games. 2022, he lost the starting role. 
but it wasn't because of health. It was because of performance. So if you're looking for a little bit of volume combined with strikeouts at that range, I don't mind it, but I also think that he is more somebody that I prefer to be streaming. And in a 15-team league, he's going to probably be rostered. This is more my 12-team brain talking. I don't want to have Kikuchi on my team every single week of the year because there are going to be bad starts. I think he's somebody where you pick him up for an advantageous two-start week or if he's got one start in the week but it's against the Nationals or the Athletics. That's where I'd really want to be using him. In terms of like in a 15-team context, you're going to have to. Based on the ADP, he's going to be somebody you're starting every week. For me personally, I just don't know that I want to be taking the chances of having those nine and run starts to go along with those gems because he's going to be somebody I think that does struggle with consistency. Yeah, that's been a Kikuchi year-in and year-out problem is that consistency factor. So curious about that. You hinted at this wonderful individual earlier in the show. Let's talk about him now, Alec Manoa. What I felt bad for him at times just because the amount of stuff he was taking on for I'm a big guy, he's a big guy, um, for you could tell there was stuff going on between the years that uh, he needed to deal with that he was getting ramrodded for as well. But the production was really bad for Manoa. After looking really good, looking like the next best thing, could have been the 1A to the 1B or the 1B to the 1A of Kevin Gossman. Didn't work out so well. What are our expectations for 2024? Well, yeah, I mean, I've kind of tried to purge Manoa memories from my brain from 2023. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but that kind of thing, <clears throat> get the memories out there. But I believe Manoa was our opening day starter in 2023. He was a Cy Young finalist in 2022. And there were some people that were projecting some regression for him, right? I mean, there were people who were saying it's – and Steamer. Steamer did a pretty damn good job last year of projecting pitchers that were going to come back to earth, and he was one of them. Now, I don't believe anybody if they would say that they were expecting a 6 ERA from Anoa coming into the year because that was an absolute worst-case scenario. But I don't think that he is that bad either. We saw over his first two seasons, he was outrunning his supporting metrics. Right? He wasn't actually a 224 ERA-level pitcher but he certainly wasn't the six ERA either. I think that he's somebody where he did struggle with the pitch clock. He is a big guy who didn't want to, or didn't maybe didn't want to is not the right way to put it, but he wasn't somebody who was capable really of speeding up his delivery. And he did struggle with the pitch clock. And now that they've taken a couple more seconds off of it, I don't really know that that's going to do any good for Manoa, but he needs to get right between the ears. Like you mentioned, there was talk when he was optioned to Buffalo. Uh, God, I forget when it was now July or August. And he, didn't want to report he didn't mm-hmm. want to accept the minor league salary that he would have had to take going down to AAA. and who knows how much of this is true or not but it does lead to you know you kind of worry about what that's going to mean for him mentally going forward i talked about bassett earlier and that mindset of <clears throat> excuse me of just wanting to help the team in any way possible and then you have manoa here who doesn't want to accept a demotion after he's pitched to a six era so as as of right now, I think he's a number five starter on the team, but he has a very short leash. If Manoa goes out in April and he has three straight bad starts, I don't want to say he's DFA candidate, but like we're we're heading down the path of him not being a Blue Jay for a long time if he is not able to get his mentals right. And I, I think he'll start the year as a number five starter, but I don't really want to be invested in him so much. If it's a draft champions kind of league, I don't really want to have Manoa on my team the whole year necessarily, or at least I don't want to commit to that to start the year. I'd rather go for him in a fab league where I am able to cut him because I do think there's a chance that the bottom really does fall out. Now the price isn't expensive at 370, but it's expensive enough where, you know, if you're talking to draft champion, I like to split them in half. That's the first half of a draft champion. So it's still a reasonable investment. First 25 rounds. 
and there's potential for it to get really, really ugly for Manoa. I'd rather have him in a fab league where I can cut him if it doesn't work out because, honestly, I think it'll be better this next season. But he's not a guy who is going to have massive strikeout numbers. It's just not been what he's done. In fact, the strikeout rate have gone from 27 to 22 to 19. The walk rate went up to 14% last year. There's just so much worry and concern for me that if I miss him, I miss him. But I don't really want to be you know, having to hold him for the whole year as well either. Yeah, I was fully out on him last year. Did not expect it to go that bad. Like you said, wasn't going that direction, but haven't been back in on him this year. I'll have to like, I'm rooting for him. I want him to get right, but yeah. uh, I'm going to probably stay away on that one. Yeah. Let's head to the bullpen. Jordan Romano is the guy. Been pretty good so far in his uh, run with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's the ninth closer off the board right now. Uh, what are our expectations for Romano this year? Is there anybody else in the bullpen we should be keeping an eye on? As long as he's healthy, Romano's the guy. And there's been talk, not just in Toronto, but I think around baseball over the last couple of years that maybe Romano is not the guy. Maybe he's not going to be able to be a closer. He's been the everyday closer for three years now. And even partially in 2022, he was getting some saves. And he's pitched to a sub-3 ERA in each of the last three years. He's a 30% strikeout rate guy, lower than 10% walk rate. He's a prototypical closer. As long as he's healthy, he's a hometown guy. He's, he's going to be the closer. There's there's no question there. The Jays do have the luxury of having a fairly deep bullpen, especially at the back end of it. Swanson and Meza are both guys who could very realistically get some saves. I'm not such a big Genesis Cabrera guy. Yimmy Garcia's kind of hit or miss. But, you know, if Romano does go down, I think Swanson and Meza are, are the guys to really look at. And I think Jordan Hicks hasn't signed on anywhere yet. I don't think so. Maybe he comes back. I, I don't think he will. But he would be a, another guy who could potentially compete for those saves if something did happen to Romano. But as of right now, I think Romano is the only guy that's worth drafting in most leagues. If you're talking about a draft champions, that's different. But if, if you're talking about your standard 12 team or even your standard 15 team league, it's probably just Romano. And then if something did happen to him, it's probably Eric Swanson and Meza who are going to be doing some kind of platooning of the role there based on the handedness of the batters coming up. If you're facing a couple lefties in the ninth, it'll probably be Meza. If it's the reverse, it'll probably be Swanson. I just can't see it being anybody outside of Jordan Romano based on how solid he's been the last three-plus seasons. Yep, I'm with you on that one. Last but not least here, or well, first off, are there any other players projected to start the year at the team you wanted to discuss, hit or wide? I think we pretty much covered everybody of, of relevance. Yeah, uh, we didn't mention Biggio, but I mean, you said of relevance, so I mean, there's not really much <laughs> relevance there. Don't get at bats. He has that. He was better than usual last year. Let's put it that way. Defining usual is the problem, but yeah. My own projections for Biggio are 110 games, 12 homers, seven steals, and a 226 average. I think I'm pretty close to what Steamer has, not too far off. I. The thing with Biggio is he's just such a disappointment at this point, and he'll have these little stretches of like two weeks, three weeks, where Blue Jays fans are saying, oh, my God, he's, he's there he is. He's back. He's a below-replacement-level player at this point, and the only real role for him is bench depth. And if you have him on your fantasy team, it's probably looking real ugly if you're starting Kevin Biggio. So I don't think we need to get <laughs> too deep into it there. But I think you know if his name was Kevin Jones or Kevin Smith or Kevin Johnson, he wouldn't be a big leaguer anymore. It's simply the Hall of Fame father, whose father was, you know, respectfully, a low-tier Hall of Famer who maybe, I mean, he got there because of the 3,000 hits, but realistically yeah. speaking, I think the Biggio name has carried that guy a long, long way. We're probably farther than it should have. For sure. I'm with you there. You got IKF, similar thing. Yeah. You might use them from time to time, but they're all uh, utility players for the most yeah. part. 
Lastly, the prospects of the world. We have the, the Italian stallion, Dom, Damiano Palmagiani, which we all got introduced to in the Home Run Derby at the EDF Pass, which is great. You got Addison Barger that many have been talking about. Is there anybody that we should be keeping an eye on, maybe taking darts on late and drafted holds? Anything else when it comes to Toronto Blue Jays? Based on what I personally projected, I think Aralvis Martinez might be worth it. Um, it. It depends on Chapman, too. If Chapman is re-signed, then that's going to take away a lot of those at-bats at third, and they also have Kiner Falefa. So at that point, I don't see Aralvis having a big role. But as of right now, if they don't bring back Chapman, I think Martinez could be somebody who's called up midseason and could provide a bit of a power bump. We've seen him hit 30 home runs in the minors. I personally think he'll probably play about 70 games or so as rosters currently constructed. And again, that will probably change. But I think as of now, you could probably bank on maybe 70 or so games for Martinez, 10 to 12 homers as a midseason call up. I think Barger probably will be closer to a September guy if we see him. Who's still got you know a pretty decent fantasy profile? Barger could be a guy who comes up and gives you five homers and five steals over the course of maybe six weeks or so. Uh, but in terms of drafting, like they'd have to be really, really late in your in your draft champions uh, for me to really want to take a chance. And let me just see where Aurelvis Martinez is going. Six uh, eleven. I mean, I would take, I would probably take a chance there, but it's not something that I'd say is like a you know sneaky can't miss type of thing martinez could spend the whole year in the minors uh, but i think there is a chance that he is a guy who gets called up if chapman isn't brought back if chapman's brought back all bets are off but i think that he is probably the most interesting position player prospect now in terms of pitchers there's obviously big ricky tiedemann who could potentially come in and have some effect this year and i think a lot of that comes down to the rest of the the staff right and last year we mentioned it they kind of had a charmed existence everybody was healthy outside of manoa you got 30 starts you got sub four eras realistically speaking that doesn't happen every year for a major league team they're going to need to fill 10 15 20 starts throughout the year and i think that could be ricky tiedemann potentially but i'm honestly a little bit more worried about tiedemann than i would have been after some discussions with our mutual friend chris welsh is it the welsh uh, he was scouting tiedemann in the arizona fall league and there was a report from keith law that blue jays were looking at him as a reliever and i remember messaging chris right away saying is this true is he going to be a reliever and welsh was really worried about the fact that and i'm just pulling up his message just to see his exact wording the fact that he doesn't really distinguish between his arm slot for his different pitches the velocity is not what it was pre-injury and overall i don't know that tiedemann can be held in the same regard as he might have been a year ago so even though he is still a highly ranked prospect, even though he's somebody that he's being drafted ahead of Manoa, he's being drafted, I think, 330 or so range in D.C.'s. People are expecting production from him. First of all, I don't know if there's even going to be a role for him if everybody's healthy. But even if he does come up, I'm a little worried about what the actual skill is going to look like. And I, from my discussions with Welsh, Toronto might want to look at actually like trading Tiedemann. That's why I was kind of hoping maybe they would trade him for a Juan Soto type or have him be a piece of the package because... I'm a little worried about what the future looks like for Tiedemann in terms of that success translating to the big league level, especially immediately. I think people will be kind of disappointed if they're spending, you know, it's already 330. We get into draft season. It's probably top 300 pick. I think we're setting ourselves up for disappointment with the big Ricky Tiedemann. He's way too rich for my blood. Yeah. Uh, just just for things you mentioned, I've heard other people talk about him as well. Welsh is obviously a great one, but other prospect guys, you've got the Toolshed boys and others that have mentioned just um, this longevity is a massive concern. With Tiedemann right now, there's a lot of a lot of issues. Like the the stuff is amazing, but there's a lot of questions around it. Is the problem that I'm not paying that draft price for? But we'll have to wait and see. It'll be a fun 2024 season for the Jays. I think there's definitely optimism. There should be another big move would really up that optimism, which would be huge. 
But uh, before we get on out of here, uh, Joe, why don't you uh, remind everybody where they can find you, what you got going on, and all that good stuff. Well, I want to say uh, thank you for bringing me back on here. It's always a great time chatting with you. We'll have to get you back on my show in the preseason. We'll talk some Giants. Maybe we'll get Mason involved, too. Uh, Always a great time talking with you guys. But you guys can check out my work over on Twitter or whatever. I think we're just pretty much calling it Twitter at this point. I think X is is kind of dead. Uh, But go and check out my work. It's at JoeOrico99. Uh, just my name and the number 99 at the end. And go check out everything we got over at sportsethos.com as well. Got a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot of new people coming on board this year, including Mr. Ben Tidd, who you guys hear on Bench with Bubba pretty regularly. He's going to be doing some NFBC content. He's going to be doing some fab pitching articles for us. So a lot of great contributors coming on board there and a lot of great uh, content you can find at the site. But that's pretty much it for me. You can find my rankings there and also at Fantasy Pros. And that's pretty much it for me. Go check out the podcast. Like Bubba mentioned, Fantasy MLB Today. We come at you five times a week. Whether we did one yesterday, New Year's, we did one on Christmas. It doesn't really matter what's going on. If it's a weekday, we got a show for you. So make sure you guys are uh, checking us out over there. But Bubba, thank you again. It's always great, man. Always a pleasure, man. Everybody, make sure you follow Joe on Twitter, like you said, at JoeArico99. We'll be back with 29 more teams after this. But this will kick it off. Bench with Bubba, episode 620, your Toronto Blue Jays 2024 season preview catch y'all next time